At last we have exited from the Terminus systems and Jack Bauer will return again sometime soon here on Viger Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. Who would have thunk it? I love Star Trek Enterprise. I'm your co-host. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> it was a long road to get from there to here. Many changes of the heart had to take place to pull this TV show out of the fucking sewage gutter. I'm talking like old Europe poop flowing down the side of the street gutter. Uh, Ooh, yeah, like Paris in the 1400s. Yeah, yeah like this mm. is why this you want the plague because that's how you get the plague. Shit in the street and rats. This is the season three rip. If you've never joined us before on a rip, uh, this is where we lay to rest the latest season of Trek that we have reviewed and rip it as we do so in an appropriate fashion. And on the yeah, menu so it's today, one of our better entendres. Yeah, it is. It's probably our best. Let's call, let's call it the, and it was your idea, by the way, you, yes, you coined know. this many years ago. Uh, so credit where credit is due. What's on the menu is season three of enterprise. And this is, this is basically, uh, the biggest heel face turn of all time. As far as broadcast television is concerned, those first two seasons were rough. They were difficult. Uh, your hope had completely exited from your voice sometime around the eighth bad gun fight in the middle of season two. And here we are. It wasn't even the bad gun fights. Cause we could sit and laugh at the bad gun fights. It was Gosh, if we were to just look at season one and season two, it's just lots of wastes of time, man. Yeah. Squandered potential stories that could have been cool. Hoshi transporter episode. I'm looking at you. Vanishing you know, point. What a what a what a anti banger that was. Shit. That should have been great. You know, this is the ep- this is the show where you could do the thing for the first time. And you've had fucking decades to think about these stories and and to see what they would give us um and just miserable character stories you know uh and then to get into this where in some ways we were getting better character stories in other ways we were just focused on a really tight concise plot where all the pieces moved into place at the correct times. And really, you know, it felt like just a master course in good storytelling. You talk about serialization. And serialization is a very interesting concept. Serialization, syndication, um, the intersection of storytelling and production and revenue. Right. To be to be clear, serialization is different than syndication. Syndication I is merely a distribution in, method. But they kind of go hand in hand because when you have something like this that's highly serialized, where if you miss the episode beforehand, it could potentially mean problem for ad revenue and syndication. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're different concepts, but there's a strong correlation between the two of them in terms of network viability and the production staff willingness to put this stuff on. So there are some bold fucking choices that started happening in season three. Well, because, you know, the show is not syndicated famously. It is a network television show and they they have it a heavily serialized Star Trek series. It was called DS9 and it was in fact syndicated. So I think 
they looked back at DS9 with a lot of time then at that point between when it ended and, and when they were making the creative decisions here and said, these first two seasons aren't working. Let's go the DS9 route. Let's get a little grittier. Let's get some dirt under the fingernails. Let's tap into some maybe a little bit of current day, but in a Trek way. And we can deliver on a better product that way that keeps the audience engrossed and keeps them wanting to come back week after week to keep up with the storyline. We've talked about this stuff before. You and I are watching this TV show in ways that the creators never thought possible. TiVo was in its infancy when uh, Enterprise started getting to about the point of season three. And of course, you could always sit around, record this stuff on the VCR and go back and watch it. So you never missed an episode. Uh, but there certainly weren't servers sitting there ready for video on demand for people to go through and watch us. So uh, it's some bold choices to have really the entire back half. And, and when we were going through trying to pick the best episodes for the season, it's hard to pluck them out because the last what six episodes feel like one really long episode. Yeah. Basically from Azadi prime through the rest of the season minus E2 maybe. I mean, even that felt like a continuous part of the story because E2 happens specifically because they're going to a place that's yeah, linked to uh, the rest of the plot. But <clears throat> if this was mass effect, I think E2 is certainly DLC. It's good. It's DLC. a side quest. It's a side quest. It's a side yeah. quest. You could have, you could have popped that in. Um, but do they do enough to keep you up to date? If you missed an episode, I would say no. I would say even with the previously on, it's not a, enough to do the show service. And I think things are going to slip through the crack. But again, maybe you can speak to viewership numbers. I think at this point they realize there's no casuals watching this thing. You got hardcores in there uh, and they start catering to it. And that catering starts too late. I think if they would have came out of the gates with this thing, where they're at in season three, it would have been a very different story for Enterprise. Who knows if it would have been a different story for UPN? I, I will say that the story of season three of Enterprise's ratings is that of consistency and retention, which lends to your argument. At the beginning of the season, four million people watched the episode The Zindi. 3.91 million watched Zero Hour. You kept your people. You kept your audience. They watched the whole thing because all of these numbers are very consistently in the high threes to low fours. Uh, with one exception, the best rated episode of the season was a uh, regime. I was going to say regime. <laughs> Can't so, imagine what that is. <laughs> I can give you. You guessed it, folks. Two big reasons. Two big reasons related to a mother who was in Playboy. Yeah. Not her. Her mother. Thanks. I read the memory alpha. I know. <clears throat> um, I'm stunned that the number is not finishing at exactly what the, uh, the first started at, if not higher. No, I'm not. If you were the hardcore Trek guy who stayed with Enterprise and I was the hardcore Trek guy who watched the first two seasons, or I'm sorry, watched the first season and then I noped the fuck out 
And then you came to me at work and we're sitting there around the water cooler or whatever we used to do back in the uh, pre web two, yeah. the, the pre web two point, And you had sent me a, a my, was there Facebook? No. Was there MySpace? No. MySpace was after. MySpace was like MySpace what? Oh, five. MySpace was like the first. One. Yeah, but I don't know if it might have been live journaling. That might have been it. Live journaling was certainly there, but I want to say I didn't make a a MySpace until I had graduated from college in like oh four. Uh, if you had gone to me and said, "Dude, listen, you need to get back in Enterprise because this season three was hot shit," I'd have laughed in your fucking face, and that would have been the end of it. So. I think even with as badass as the season was, I'm sure that there are people watching this thing real time trying to drag old viewers back in, and they were rightfully resistant uh, to any of that. I think, though, that the fact that they kept everyone that was still watching demonstrated that this idea had merit. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, you didn't, the, the bleeding stopped. Like, you did finally capture your audience. It's just you know, a fraction of what it was when you started. So uh, let's move on now. Is this good Star Trek? Yes. Yes, very much so. I think it it becomes great Star Trek, uh, particularly as you get into episodes like Similitude, back half of the season. And that's something we're going to touch on, I think, which is like the first half of this actually is kind of still not great. And by the time you're finished, you kind of forget that because the back half was just the oops, all bangers part of the of the season. And it just that those memories stick with you. They, they make the turn at around similitude and they get into like doing proving ground and then Harbinger doctor's orders. Azadi prime on, you know, like that's where the good stuff happens. I don't know if I would call this good Star Trek. It's great TV, but still, even after season three, I don't know if in my heart I consider this Trek on the same level with Next Gen, Voyager, uh, TOS. And I can't put my finger on why. Maybe it's the the pioneering of it. Maybe it just it's feels just too modern. You know, like it feels it feels like it's a too close to to current day. Everyone's a little bit too close to the people, you know, that always was the weird part to me is that enterprise. And I get that's the purpose, right? Is this is pre-Federation Earth. So they're more like Earth now. They're not as enlightened yet. You know, that's a great point. It is not a post-scarcity society. And I think that is the fundamental base layer of what Star Trek is. It is an enlightened humanity that almost in itself feels alien. And I can't say this to DS9, but certainly early uh, Next Gen and Voyager, these do not feel like people that live in our world. Their views are radically different. Their morals are radically different. Uh, And I'm not saying that the people on Enterprise and X01 are shitty or whatever, but they don't have that weird, lofty, Roddenberry-like alien quality to them. Yeah, I I think alien quality captures the spirit that I'm feeling quite accurately. Um, People like Picard, Riker, they they seem unearthly in their capacity to be selfless leaders. 
It's why you admire them as characters. It's why you root for them. It's why you follow them. It's why they're engrossing. But they, they're the product of an environment that raised humanity to be that kind of person because it could, because there was no conflict over a lack of resources anymore. DS9's brilliance is that it comments on that fact, like openly, like you humans are like this only because you lack for, for need. And the moment need will reassert itself, you're, you're going to snap back into being terrible sons of bitches. And that's exactly what happens. And uh, this is, we're not quite there yet, but we've grown. We're growing. We want to grow more. And where I say this is good Star Trek is those episodes where you actually get to see the proto Federation ideals start to reassert themselves through the actions of Archer and the crew. Similitude is my, you know, spoiler alert, it's my favorite episode of the season because I think it captures that essence the best. Is this good storytelling? Uh, or is this just really good pulp fiction and fantasy? You know, <clears throat> this was a radical departure for many reasons from the first two seasons. If I sit here and I try to describe the plot lines or the star story arc to my wife, which I, I really haven't, but I've been thinking in my head a lot about it. It's genius as it's coming across the screen and I'm watching it over the course of a 45 minute episode trying to tell someone about this stuff. Um, you know, the false prophet guardians slash sphere builders, uh, the, the Zindi, how they got played, used, chewed up and spit out. Um, some of the side adventures they go on, the sickness, the aliens, like there's a Flash Gordon-like quality to it where I have to look at the first two seasons and say, man, were these things just so fucking bad that I was like starved for good content with this story uh, 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 framework and just thrived in it? Or is this genuinely great television and epic storytelling? I think that there is some some constraints worth noticing, but what I think pushes it over the edge to actually being good storytelling is personified in Degra specifically, because Degra is someone who's in the in the season from almost the beginning. You get to know him when they're having the Terminus System Legion of Doom meetings, and you don't know very much about him basically at all until the middle of the season, even though he's a pretty consistent presence, even if it's just like one scene at the beginning. But the, but the brilliance of it and what makes a good storytelling is by the time you start to learn things about him, it actually puts his prior scenes in a much different context. It makes you go back to them and say, oh, this is a man who had doubts. This is a man who whose actions suddenly make a great deal more sense because he was never really in on what he was party to, to begin with. He has a, he's a family man. He, he's got blood on his hands. He does not like. He's an he's educator. Become, yeah. He's, he's become a, a mass murderer and he is discomforted by this. And now he's going to be an exterminator of an entire species and he doesn't like it. And he's slow rolling the whole thing because of that moral doubt and you don't even know that he has any of that doubt for most of the season. But then you find out he's had it the whole time. And then you look back and say, oh, wow, the writers, they knew that. 
They knew that's where they were going, and they weaved it in. That's good storytelling. That's Do you think that you could take season three and put it in front of uh, some sort of a college course on script writing or storytelling and that you could show it to non-Trek enthusiasts and that they would come away with strong feelings for it? Hmm, that's an excellent question. I think the, I think of uh, all of the Star Trek seasons, this might be the easiest one to do that with. But I'm not certain the answer is yes. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I think that this is probably your best, best shot at it. I, I mean, I think you would, I honestly think though that that, with that question, it would be hard to do that with almost any season of Trek. I agree that uh, this would be the best shot because it does feel divorced from traditional Trek because it is accessible to themes and modern day. Uh, so people who might not be sci-fi enthusiasts should be able to attach on. And I think if you could get people to give it a fair shake and divorce any sort of preconceived notions about Trek that um, it would ultimately end up being an enjoyable. You know, I don't know, man. Again, maybe I'm just looking through this with uh, rose colored glasses or, you know, same way we would get into Voyager where it's like, I want this to be good so bad because I've watched so much bad that like (laughs) I've got an amazing amount of um, forgiveness and, uh, co-opteism in me yeah we have been co-opted ourselves like we were we were beaten. <laughs> gone native yeah we've been beaten so hard by this thing we've decided to start stalking it the, with them in the jungle anyway uh next one you had written down here that i wanted to cover i like what made the zindi work versus all the voyager original species uh the who are the phage guys the vidians mm-hmm Kazons. Mm-hmm. We talked about this a little bit in the I mean, maybe the last two or three episodes ago. Um, the Vardwar, the Skevians were supposed to be in there. Uh, the uh, gosh, who were the garbage men? Oh, uh, the Malorn. The Malorn. Those guys all by the end came around and turned into pretty cool species. And just as they started realizing the potential of the species, they threw it away. And then they dragged the Borg back in and peed all over the Borg and just ran that legacy into the dirt. The Zindi work for me because you don't know everything up front. And I think they do a slow burn on releasing information about them. And it all just falls into the right place, the right way. I think they look alien for real. And maybe that's because CGI came down in price a little bit. So shit like the aquatics and the uh, insectoids, like really getting away from humanoids. Yeah. And the idea that there's this five species, sentient species that evolved on a single planet. And Amazing. then it's almost, almost unique in, in the universe. Like that just never happens. I can only tell you. There's the Zindi. And then the fucking uh, Nabu with uh, the the humans and the Gungans. Oh, that's I, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's Star Wars. Oh, wait. Well, there's the uh, um, the episode yeah, when they the, the Mr. Yeah, Dear Doctor, you know, yeah. that's another one. Yeah, don't worry. I, I know about that one. Um, 
<laughs> you know, and sticking with Star Wars, I do feel that season three borrowed real heavy from the prequels. And I think that the set design, the color selection, the antagonism, uh, distrust, and the overall villainy. You know, we, we joke around about the Legion of Doom and Geonosis, but the Zindi Council meetings feel a lot like the uh, the separatists out of the, the prequels in the right ways. And I think they, there was, you know, there's always been a lot of uh, borrowing of concepts between Star Trek and Star Wars, and this was a good example of them doing it the right way. And that gave them a, you know, a nice blueprint on how do you tell the story and how do you present this evil faction in a compelling way versus, uh, you know, Kmart Klingons and just trash people with shit in their hair. The focus helped a lot. I mean, the, 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 the real problem with Kazan slash Vidians and so on and so on is there were individually great episodes for all of those races. Like the last, uh, Milan episode was great. Uh, Dr. Pell and everything with that in mm. Vidians was great. Uh, there was even like that good uh, Kazon episode when it was uh, the guy who played Nog was stuck on the planet yeah. with Chakotay and you got kind of like there the backstory. So they they had times where those all worked too, but then you'd have that one episode, then you move on to the next thing and you move on to the next thing because it's always independent, you know, non-serialized storytelling. This was 24 episodes where there was one fucking bad guy and it was called the Zindi and piece by piece and inch by inch. You got to learn about them. Even when they weren't on screen, they were on screen. They were in the minds of the characters. They were it's, talked about. It, it's definitely the mystery and it's definitely the slow presentation of facts about them. If yeah. Archer had gotten within the first two episodes, someone who can say, Oh, listen, there was a world called Zindi and there were five sentient species on it. And they were in a big civil war and they blew it up and they're kind of scattered now. And they uh, have, I mean, even right up to the very end, finding out that the sphere builders were revered pseudo gods, like just great, great storytelling, the avians, everything else. Um, storytelling, dungeon mastering right like sitting there with your group of players and saying i've got a big plot here's the bad guys and each adventure you're going to get a little bit more to the picture and you're going to be able to sit there and wonder what is this thing how why, how could there be reptilian dna but there's like really really cool stuff going back to uh what was the slave colony trillium d farm you know, that's where they got their first. Yeah, the Zindi, the very first episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> where the Makos beat the fuck out of everybody. Yeah, it was just, they, the, the Makos made a grand appearance in that first episode. Repelling down, Tonfa takedowns, Snipers. headshots. They, yeah. they really set the tone from that point forward. Sure did. Um, I want to talk about Trillium D real quick. Yeah. What an amazing commodity and storytelling device to roll out this season. Uh, this critical magic rock that is going to allow Enterprise to transverse this extremely dangerous portion of space where anomalies are uh, riddling the Enterprise with terrible CGI, you know, wounds that can twist your fucking face off and deform your body, kill you, rip the hull apart, cause warp core issues. Um, trying to find it, the adventures in, in, in getting close, trying to synthesize it, blowing up, and then ultimately 
the reveal that uh you know Vulcans are deathly uh, allergic to this stuff but then also your Vulcan is maybe sneaking, in, sneaking into the airlock so that they can get their access to their crack rock I can't think of anything else in Star Trek that has been that good of a season long plot element yeah I, I can't, you know, and you go to Voyager, which was a show about limited commodity, hardship, dearth and duration. And because of its uh, episodic format, you know, they could never photon torpedoes. It didn't matter if you only had five last episodes, you're back up to 29. This episode, the jokes about shuttlecraft and everything else, like it was interesting to see Enterprise come and be like, yeah, no, here's this thing. We want it. We got to work for it. We get it. We can't use it. There's still value, blah, 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 blah. Really cool. So let's get into our awards, Peter. Let's bring to the people that which they're here for. And that is some, some buildups and some takedowns. First one listed best character. I know who you're going to say. So I'm going to give a different opinion. It's trip. I don't think it's close. I love Degra. I do, but it's actually trip. Uh, Connor Trenier carries uh, the dramatic weight of the entire season. And he does so flawlessly in my opinion, similitude uh, would be the best episode for him of the season, except there's also the forgotten. So it's like he had two absolute bangers and the whole journey he goes on with the loss of his sister, ultimately his ability to confront Degra on that uh, personally, just great. Just fantastic. His relationship with Paul, everything with him worked. You're not wrong, um, but I'm not going to deviate from Degra as my pick for the best character. Uh, he comes in every scene he's in is is juice. It's good. Guy's got an amazing character arc. Uh, he goes from antagonist to ally in one of the smoothest transitions that, you know, the smoothest yet wildest transitions ever. And looking at all the great stuff you're talking about trip and thinking about why I'm not picking him. I think it's easy to see why again, he's not hailed as one of the best star Trek characters of all times. Even if everybody did see enterprise to the same uh, exposure level as um, next gen. And at this point, Voyager, his stuff is subtle and it's emotionally deep. Uh, he portrays wounded well, but he runs short on like badass bark down moments. That is what you think about out of like Picard or Cisco. That's true. I would agree. He, he's he's really good on the deep emotional stuff. But when it comes to being the the snap to military man, he's a lot worse than the best examples in the Trek Canada of actors. He's great on the down though. It, it's a, it's a subtle performance. It's great in the moment, but it gets drowned out by other people's big scenes elsewhere. Also too, like when you're talking about like characters, you really remember and gravitate towards. I think those cinematic, like big movie presentations really ring heavy and you got a lot more resources going into script writing directing set pieces, blah, blah, blah. You know, Picard going on about, you know, the Borg stop here. 
in first contact, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, those big Shakespearean moments. Absolutely. Right. Right, right. Worst character. <laughs> you want to go right to worst character? Okay, so in in 20 words or less, why is it read? Because <laughs> I don't think there's another choice to be made. It's like Mayweather lapped him just merely by not having any episodes not having any focus, just showing up, smiling, me a charming, charming doofus, tackling Hayes on the bridge, <laughs> like tackling yeah. everybody on the bridge, man. You get too close to that guy. You're going to fucking you're going to you're going to taste. He's like uh, the chomper on the chain. Right. Yeah. And those Mario, coil, those coiled obsidian anacondas on his arms is going to come out and get you. Reed is a miserable fucking guy. And they do some cool stuff with him in the end of the season where he finally starts to grow a little humanity as he gets uh, overwhelmed by all the death riddling enterprise. Just everything before then. And we've we've rewritten this guy many times. The right combination for this character would have been displaced science officer with a chip on his shoulder that it fell to a Vulcan and he stuck playing second fiddle. But this is not a military guy. This actor does not have a commanding military presence. Yeah, they just cast the wrong guy. You know, he's just not correct. I, I I feel comfortable saying this at this point. He's not effective in the role that he has been given. And he, it doesn't change. They give him actually a little bit better backstory in the last season, but it's still not quite right. If you took uh, Colin Trenier and you put him in, as Reed instead. Do you think he could have saved that character as Reed? I think it's just a dud concept. No, you just got to find the right actor. We, we've talked about the chief of the boat character could have been Mayweather, right? Should have been Mayweather. Right. So, okay. Well, let's say Mayweather's still Mayweather. Mayweather's still just the wet behind the ears, boomer, you know, goofy kid, right? Well, then your second option for that guy should be your, your tactical officer. Like, Reed should have been a Mako from the start. He should have been recruited by Archer from the military to say, I don't know what we're going to get ourselves out into out there. I want somebody leading our, our security team that, you know, has been involved in real conflict and has a military mindset. And that's like a real reach okay, for well him. Just take Hayes, you know? Right. It should have been Hayes. Like that is actually who your character in this role should have been. Like if you got, um, Stephen Culp to play Reed, that would have worked, you know. Drop the insecurity about the Makos coming in because that was just another sissy whiner point that bogged him down. Right, and you could have just had Hayes, who's you can even say he's Major Hayes. He's still a military officer. He's just assigned to Enterprise. The first two seasons, they get back, and he's like, Captain, you need the dudes. You need you need guys like me. Like, yeah. It's time. So you bring him on board and then your story arc becomes him becoming more like a Starfleet officer and teaching his military guys to like learn to do things the Starfleet way. Oh, where's my fucking pound? Where's, where's, where's the sound effect? There it is. <laughs> you put that Mako in there from the beginning. You take all this reeds detached and nobody's anything knows about him. It's because this guy feels like he's an outsider because he's military and everybody else is an exploratory scientist and that's the rift between him and the crew yeah he starts to bond with the crew finally by the end of season two season three shit hits the fan 
Archer says we need to bring in more Makos. And now Hayes, who has lost his hard edge, uh, has reservations about his peers coming on board. Um, there's a feeling that he is going to be judged poorly and, and viewed as an outsider to his own people. And then you could have even folded in this thing that the Makos rep- or resent Starfleet because the Makos see that that is an end of uh, of them as a military unit. Which is, which, which is the primary motivation of the villain from Star Trek Beyond. Sure. Like exactly that. So sure. it, it, they ended up actually finding this line just, you know, 20 fucking years later. Right. So, yeah, Reed, Reed, Reed was the bad part. And I will say that Reed in season three is considerably better. In No, not he's he's hugely better than he was in season one and season two. Way yeah, more he's, just, he's just still the worst. <laughs> well, yeah, he's the, the rising tide lifted all the boats. He's just still the lowest one. And I mean, there's not even any guest actors, I think, that came through that really jump out to me as like or characters. And I'm like, man, that guy was really fucking terrible. Like even uh, Pop Tart Fuckface. I was say even Count Molestula was more interesting than Reed. Sure. Yeah. Uh, awful episode, but it was a good character. So speaking of Reed, worst gunplay award. <laughs> this is a write-in. Um, man, hard to pick from, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm going with the shootout at the not okay corral from North Star. Yeah, the Magos did not equip themselves well that day against jabroni cowboys with six shooters. Oh, they equipped themselves fine. The people they brought to the fight are just the fucking worst. There's <laughs> bad okay corral lady who fails several more times. Should have been her that got fucking zapped in the Zindi sphere by the robotic arm, not Hawkins. I'm going to go with uh, my Reed award for poor gunplay to Reed himself in uh, Anomaly when the space pirates are raiding the ship and he gets into that ridiculous gunfight in the shuttle bay where he should have bingoed that fucking guy, but instead like shoots everything but him. Real cringe. Uh, we did also have a request for uh, a return to our worst form of sexual exploitation award. I will say enterprise season three dialed all the way down, went from like an eight to a four on the sexual exploitation. They really behaved themselves for the most part. What would be your pick here? The radical departure. I mean, when you have an episode that is so gratuitous that it doesn't even need the decontamination bay. Yeah. Regine, which not a bad episode. No. Um, And it's a real fucking shame that Regine as a character, I mean, she's smoking hot and, and she's fun to see on screen, but I think that character's little redemption arc there towards the end, she would have been a great wild card in the back half of the season as a benefactor. But man, when she's just going room to room, dragging as many people into her like sexual invasive mind probes while 3d scanning their body specifically like her hustler vignette with to Paul. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I guess uh, I I didn't pick that, and I didn't pick to Paul taking her clothes off when she he she finally uh, fucks uh, Trip, because in both of those circumstances, while it was very sexy, it was not exploitive. It was in purpose 
to the plot of the episode in a are way. Talking about when her boobs are just hanging over his head and she's rubbing his abs or whatever. That, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of body massages. I think we've forgotten about over the true. weeks. That's true. There was some foot stuff. There was there was all at the beginning of the episode and it was in the first half of the season and that was like infinity time ago. Uh, I I think the worst sexual exploitation moment was Hoshi and her hoving because there was no purpose for it whatsoever. It's like why are you wearing that? Why did you come down to Count Molestula's planet with that? That just doesn't make sense. That it reminded why? me of when her top had to fall off in season two. Why like, do you even have those clothes yeah. on the ship? Why? Why? In the mission circumstances you are. There was a scene where you're clearing stuff out of your cabin so you have more room for books and tools and resources for the mission. Yet you still have a footlocker full of uh, fucking, Vic- I don't know, s- 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 skanky Susie's discount dresses. It's like, you think you're going to get to the Zindi homeworld and hit the club? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? So that, that to me is worse than Regine. Even if Regine was much more sexually explicit, it served up like they wrote into it. They wrote, they created an episode around it. I'll take that over. Hoshi's just randomly wearing hoving around at, at Count Molestula's plan. Hoshi's hoving. I can't, if you're an international audience too, like hoving, it's like clothing, but it's a hoe. It's hoving. I'm I'm hoping that even our national audience parsed that one. I listen. I just want to make sure that it's people, true. Sometimes you know the audio gets a little garbled. People don't really hear what we're seeing. Um, I mean, that's to me, it's more of a plot hole than it is sexual exploitation. Because even eh, whatever, enough on that. Where are we going from here? Top three episodes. This is the big one. This was tough. This I, is the I, toughest it has ever been in yeah. the history of V'ger, please. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Honorable mention for me, Proving Ground. I think that the whole angle with Shran in that episode is awesome. I think the friend, Shran the Frenemy is a great subplot throughout Enterprise overall. It's probably the best parts of season one and season two. Absolutely. And him showing up and then him being there to double deal, but then feeling bad about it and then kind of letting Archer get away with screwing him over on purpose because he's he's he does like him and he does like that. He's done him favors. Uh, The animosity with his superior officer that they made him do it and he doesn't like it all plays out super well. And also that enterprise basically like gets juiced <laughs> and, and easily three for one, some bunch of Zindi ships all, all good. But these three episodes were better. Impulse was my, uh, number three, just a you know, Terry Metalis, right? Like early Terry Metalis material. This is uh, the zombie. Yeah. Zombie uh, apocalypse on the Vulcan ship. Night uh, of the illogical Vulcans. It was tense. It was horrifying. It had great action. Uh, it fucked with your expectations. Hawkins lives to die another day. <laughs> great sound. Uh, every, everything that you experienced through to Paul experiencing it while breaking down adds the tension to what's going on. Um, just extremely well executed. It's only third because I feel like the next two are better dramatic entries. And I enjoyed that more. And, they're both trips episodes to the forgotten and one similitude. And 
I put Similitude first because I feel like that episode required Connor Trenier to approach his own character in a subtly different way that he managed to capture extraordinarily well. And that scene he has in Paul's quarters where he's trying to figure out if the feelings that he has for her are his own or trips was perfect. It was perfect. Um, Everything with Degra is great in the forgotten, but similitude tour de force on his part. Uh, And also like the kid actor who played trip. That was how rare is that? Like, at, like everything that like similitude had the benefit of also just being good, great archer content, great flocks content, great to Paul content. Like the whole, the whole thing worked super well and it had a great moral quandary. Uh, it's, it, it had a bad ending, you know, like that's not, not a happy one, not yeah. a happy one at least. And everyone has to just kind of suck up the consequences I really liked Phlox and his role as a father in that and the difficulty mm-hmm. he has to go through because Phlox very frequently is a real alien motherfucker that makes choices or has viewpoints that starkly contrast what we as humans feel like. It took him a while to warm up to Porthos, if you'll remember, like he did not understand the human um, tradition of like bonding with an animal. Yeah, and he he was uh, gleefully uh, t- testifying his last will and testament to uh, Doctor Lucas before uh, the final battle against the Zindi. Like, oh yeah, no, it's part of the uh, tradition to get ready to give all of our shit away when we die. But <laughs> like, seeing the difficulty he had um, in similitude, putting Sim down at the end, uh, relaying that feeling of, of fatherhood over him, and how busted str- up he was that he wasn't going to be able to save him. Before yeah. like Archer even enters the room, like that he's already like processed the grief before Archer even shows up to be told the bad news. So yeah, Similitude's my easy number one. I just feel like everyone brought their A game that day, and it's a fantastic episode of Star Trek. That is a story you can only do in Star Trek, and they performed extraordinarily well. I'm pretty sure they actually got fined by some third party certification board for uh, defying standing protocols and orders and finding a good child actor for that. Yeah. 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 There was a ticket written by the Hollywood police. (laughs) Sorry. This child actor actually acted well. Um, It's not allowed. Uh, For my top three, my honorable mention, I'm going to go with countdown, uh, which is just a marathon of an episode. So much content. (laughs) Felt like three or four episodes. I've never seen any star Trek where I'm like, was this a two-parter and I just missed like some credits somewhere? Just great pacing, uh, edge your seat the whole time, fun watch and and, and great uh, progression. We got a lot of overlap here, man. I did go with Proving Ground um, for all the stuff you listed already. You know, the real episode there turning into not the conflict with the Zindi, but the developments between Archer and Shran towards the end when uh, Shran steals the prototype and finding out that there's very naughty plans for this thing, knowing the relationship between the Andorians and the Vulcans and what could happen if this thing goes back to Andoria and just a great resolution. Like 
genuine surprise storytelling uh, that they decide to blow this fucking thing up rather than allow it to go back and potentially come back to haunt the Vulcans. Um, Azadi Prime, which kind of marks the beginning of the end of the uh, season three. Yeah, the start of the seven part finale of the season. Great moments for Archer in terms of showing you what is this character supposed to be as a captain. Also the pinnacle of his head wounds. I don't think he ever tops the amount of head wounds he receives when he gets interrogated by. No, I mean, making the decision to, to go on a suicide mission was hard and the greater the risks, the greater the reward. And he was certainly treated with a, uh, <laughs> a tremendous reward, a real trip to the fucking, uh, the massage parlor there for, for quite the happy <laughs> ending to the end of that episode, uh, nuking the, the colony from space hot on the heels of stealing the warp core from the, uh, space marks, uh, all the stuff that, Paul starts going through uh, her erratic behavior. Um, really good fights. Just a big turning point in getting Enterprise into that high octane mode. Um, my top pick being Impulse. I like horror movies. I like zombies. Yes, you do. I like all the stuff. Please watch our review of Reanimator. It's on our feed. It's it's good. It's very good. Um, radical departure from traditional Trek. And I always like scary sci-fi and we've had it kind of before and some other stuff, but this one really leans in hard. Uh, great Vulcan. And this ties into all the cool shit that Suval had to say earlier yeah. uh, at the end of season two as to why the Delphic expanse is like, boogeyman land yeah you had that little event horizon taste and then you get like the whole serving here and it's like oh god they weren't yeah. fucking around i mean it's got the weak point that hawkins is such a bad actor that like <laughs> he just stinks up all the scenes he and she's in but, but that, bri- that scene with the like all the zombies trying to take him off the bridge such a subversion man like he's, man. Just, like, he's destined to die here right and then just mm-hmm. doesn't like wow <laughs> terry metallis don't kill nobody <laughs> as we learned uh well he killed uh shaw yeah but he's gonna bring him back <laughs> he killed shaw because like if if they it worked get that at the fucking, time yeah. that renewal i mean kurtzman might kill him speaking of bad star trek what are the bottom three episodes <laughs> of the season <laughs> as hard as it was to pick the top three because there's so much easy. good this was it so was easy. <laughs> It was easy. It, it's yeah. just a complete role reversal from the first two seasons where it was easy to pick the best ones because there were so few. My first pick was North Star, which was not a bad episode if it would have been put into season one or season two. But it would have ep- been welcome in season two. It would have been a welcome addition season to that two. season. Yes, absolutely. You, you've made such high stakes and you've got me jazzed about the excitement of hunting down the Zimbi and stopping the Death Star from destroying Earth. And then you're going to take me into Westworld where you're going to LARP cowboys. Uh, you are going to have this fucking ridiculous situation where Archer refuses to use technology and wants to keep up this mass grade of we're just cow folk until he repeatedly 
causes fights. Like if you remember back to that episode, like them giving him a million outs, like just go away, please just go away. Yeah. And like going back and like starting these fights repeatedly, Mm -hmm. getting in this big shootout in fucking town square, teleporting himself out. Just real eye rolly shit. Um, Question. If North Star was in season two, would have been in your top three? I I cannot remember the world known as season two. I've tasted the excellence of season three and season (laughs) one and season two are just. I'm just saying you're in the fucking rain. At a minimum, your third worst episode of season three probably gets into season two and is just at least a pass. I I mean, I track all this stuff on my uh, on my my chart here. And yeah, that would have been good if not excellent i think yeah and i'm it, just saying that that's the bar right like your third worst episode of this season would have probably been at least a check mark if it was in season two that there's they're different shows the first yeah. two shows the first two seasons were about exploration that was a cool exploration episode and again there's really cool shit you could have done with north star oh my god how are there humans out here this is so crazy. This could, if we fail our mission, be the last bastion of humanity. Something to tie it in with the fucking plot, but like, oh my God, Earth's going to be destroyed. Instead, we have to help um, these these second class citizens and, and fight evil and, you know, the normal Star Trek shtick while uh, Earth might be like you take what happened in Hatchery which is a good reason to stay and fuck around at a side at a pit stop. Mm-hmm. There was none of that here. And yeah, yeah jumping back to like season two, uh, my, the, the best was dead stop, which was a uh, what truck stop, right? Yeah. Catwalk stigma. I don't even remember what stigma was. Oh, that's our space aids one. Yeah. I would say I would put that above cat. I would put North star like at the same level as catwalk. What was ceasefire? <laughs> oh, ceasefire. That's the Andorians and the Vulcans. That yeah. was a really good one. Uh, judgment. That was the Klingon one. Yeah. I mean, listen, my goods were Carbon Creek, Minefield, Future Tense, Canamar, Conaramar, uh, Horizon. Th- this definitely would have been a good, if not great episode in season two. But season three uh, really did not fit the stack and bad call. So our number two, and number one are the same. So I'm just going to let, I'm going to explain my number three. They couldn't have been anything other than (laughs) in the order that we put them. I I I almost feel bad putting North star on my bottom (laughs) three. It was not a, what I call North star for season three. I I, I put it as a meh. It was trash, bad, meh, good and great. My, my number three was exile. Uh, This was the Hoshi Hothing episode. I liked some of the idea, of course, of there just being this lonely psychic that's desperate for, for connection with others. And they try to, you know, bribe them to, to get this guy to do things for him. But the actions of everyone involved are so batshit to me. Criminal. That that the episode (laughs) makes no fucking sense and doesn't work. And I think it's worse than, North Star. I think North Star would be my fourth if we were going to extend this out. But I, I'm looking at my list. Exile I had as bad. North Star was meh. I don't know why. Like in my mind, somehow I've kind of forgiven Exile 
I think just because it was a fun podcast. Yeah, we enjoyed making fun of it. And you've told that story about the Pop-Tarts and ruined people on Pop-Tarts forever. So like maybe that's why we think of, you think of the episode more fondly. But I think it's, it's real bad. It's fucking absurd. There was so much wrong with that episode. And I think we'll cover it more in like plot botches. But um, yeah, Exile definitely deserves to be on that list. The other two, though, what are they? Carpenter Street which is where Blech. Archer Quantum leaps back to Detroit to stop Detroit with palm trees. <laughs> that Listen, dude, the palm trees are like the last thing wrong with that fucking episode. Um, I think the real story there would be, as I said during our episode, I want to know why they decided to jerk that guy around on his payments. And I want it to be because the rent was raised on their <laughs> warehouse and funds became tight all of a sudden. Right. Cause they, they, they didn't have like a giant oversized trench coat to go like I'm Vincent adult human man <laughs> to go like make more money, you know, working at the Ford factory or something like that. Like It was a have- miserable episode to watch. I wish that they had brought the Vulcans in like, yeah, it couldn't have been to Paul's grandmother, but there was still that other Vulcan there. That would have been really cool way to tie back and make carbon Creek matter. Um, they didn't, Fuck that episode. Uh, fuck it. Slow motion. Awful fight sequence at the end. Fuck it's 10 minutes about fast food. Yes. The only that, thing I liked was that they went all Benson and Stabler when they decided to interrogate him. That was fun. That was that, it. I think might have been one of my most comedic fight moments. Uh, and then, of course, the worst episode of the season. Number one with a bullet. <laughs> Fucking extinction. Um, Madness. Cool. Madness. Cool, not cool. It's a Star Trek concept. Hey, here's a retrograde virus that changes the crew into something else. The fucking eight second conversion from being a human to a bird person. The awful character acting. I admire the dedication of the actors in in putting this nonsense on. The terrible way they talked, the bad CGI. Um, I've got more to say about the quarantine zone. Throw this fucking thing in the trash. And of course, the ending and their decision with what to do with the fucking ultimate T-virus. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get there's, to that. There's so much weakest shit potential wrapped up in this fucking episode. This is another episode that would have gone great in season one or season two because it was a piece of shit. And it should be with the rest of the fucking pieces of shit over by the toilet. It also had nothing to do with the Zindi plot. So it could have legitimately just been in those seasons with about like 45 seconds of dialogue rewritten. Uh, I'm going to skip over the next one because I think we've covered Violent X already. Uh, Biggest OSHA violation. So as the resident OSHA expert out of the two of us, because you you work more directly in. I put people's life in hazard all the time. Like you you like lockout, tag out, uh, hand mauling, you know, like these are (laughs) things that you are familiar with. I know of them because I work in an industrial complex as well, but I'm in a job where I don't have to deal with that stuff. The fishbone uh, method of uh, discovering the root cause analysis. Yes. Uh, So so because you're the expert, I just want to pose one question rather than give an answer. Can there ever be one that's bigger than the Zindi weapon bridge? I mean, I got to say the balcony overlooking engineering, it might not have the true depth that the Zindi bridge has, Mm -hmm. 
But I think over the course of enterprise service, that as many people have fallen off of that <laughs> fucking bridge, that that balcony and engineering as they fell off in this goddamn bridge. But all right, well, lay them on me then. What are the OSHA violations? Speaking of falling off of balconies, uh, I'm going to give my award to to Paul in the cargo. Uh, she has to go where it's decompressed, and this was uh, damage, right? Yeah. Yes. What was damage going into the cargo bay, falling off of a balcony? which is, again, poor ergonomics and, and lack of safety restraints, falling her spacesuit, blowing the fucking air hose out, which I think would be like the number one concern in a spacesuit is what happens if someone falls? Is it going to jettison the air hose? Uh, and then all of this being in the pursuit of her getting and attempting to smoke space asbestos. Like, that's that's a lot of bad. <laughs> Are you saying you would write someone up if they fell off a bridge, ruined their EV suit, and then smoked space crack at work? Uh, a write-up for sure. I mean, <laughs> I certainly understand if they don't dismiss her from work. She is a true space hottie, but uh, there there needs to be some sort of slap on the wrist there. Special shout-out to Reed Sucker Jump Kicking, a subordinate. Which is <laughs> AKA assault. <laughs> and of course the classic, I'm going to take off my fucking helmet in a hostile alien environment. So I get sprayed with crazy juice. Yeah, we call that the Prometheus. Yeah. 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 The Prometheus maneuver. Joe, what's yours? You know, I, I didn't decided not to pick one. I, as I said, I would prefer, I, I wanted to cede this ground to you. You, you, you are the person that can. I do can really like that. your head cannon, though, that the fucking like a lot of times, you know, oh, here's the bad guy spaceship, like the Death Star in Star Wars, having these fucking bridges going to like the, the, the power pillars or whatever that, you know, TK 427 gets kicked off of or whatever. Like. That's silly for the sake, not silly for the sake of silly. It's it's bad. The Empire is evil. They don't care about their people. But like, I, I like your head cannon that. There's these dangerous ass bridges because the aquatics built this fucking thing underwater and they've never fallen off a bridge before. So they don't understand the importance <laughs> they don't of, the concept of the bridges. Right. They don't understand legs. They don't understand There's... the need for like, I don't want to fall off of this. Thing. Well, OK, I'm not on the bridge and I'm just flapping my flippers around and swooshing my hands through the air and doing computer programming. However, the fuck they do this. Uh, that was actually a pretty cool headcanon. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I will take that. But. When it comes to understanding true OSHA violations, I will always look to your expertise. But another thing you are an expert in, but I have a little bit more purchase as well, is the biggest plot botch of the season. AKA things to nitpick. Yeah, well, this <laughs> is this is choice. where this is where I'm gonna do it this time. Go you for know, it. That t- tends to come out, but I I have one that stuck with me all season. And that is the failure to clearly explain the inability of Daniels to AKA help time Zuck. to help with the circumstances that they were presented with due to the space time interference of the sphere builders. You can clearly infer that's what's happening. Daniels says at one point something to that effect indirectly, but they never fully explain like, no, you don't understand, John, I can't actually help you because None of this is supposed to happen. This is like a real like interference in the timeline. Uh, there's no going back on the fact that the Zindi attacked Earth. 
But because time has an inertia, we can still like orient this towards the outcome that needs to happen. That's all there. That material is all there. That it's because of the sphere builders and they're transdimensional. They exist out the flow of time and space. So something they do can happen both in the past, the present and the future. Like that's all there, but they don't explain it particularly well. And you're kind of left to figure it out on your own. Time travel is stupid and does not work well for good storytelling most of the time. And I think this is a great example of it. This never really actually like got in the way of me enjoying the season. Um, all the time Zuck stuff felt more like character introspection moments where Archer basically gets a chance to monologue and breathe his internal motivations out, uh, which end up being silly in their own regard. Uh, but like also too, Daniel's like, I can't get directly involved in this, but I'm going to get heavily involved. Regardless. To the point where I tell Archer that he's going to found the Federation. I send you back in time to fight in Detroit. I'm giving you fucking, you know, doodads from um, Zindi crewmen on the Enterprise J. Like what? It's just eye rolling. And it's like, whatever, man. Uh, for me, again, I thought it was weak that uh, Rajan never got to come back. That was a plot botch. She had a lot of potential. Agreed. The lack of the Helix ship that they've had sitting in the cargo holds involvement in anything that they're doing when having a cloak would have been real great. That's kind of like the replicator conundrum. Like it's hard to tell a story when you've got this magic thing that could solve all your problems. Hoshi passing on the crazy telepathy that she could have had if she had stolen that count pop tarts, uh, fucking pylon crystal, you know, earth's on the line. You could have the ability to like scan the cosmos with, with your uh, mind reading abilities. Uh, but instead, she chooses not to rob him after he threatens to kill everybody on the fucking ship. Exile sucks. This is this is a great example of exile sucking. It is. Uh, but the biggest plot botch for me and just unforgivable. I, I don't know if I, I hope I don't use this for weakest shit, although this is a strong contender for weakest shit. And that's the complete lack of any sort of Starfleet presence whatsoever um, in zero hour. When they come out, the yeah. entire premises of season three is that enterprise is the sole ship that is not huddled around earth, protecting it from the death star threat. That's looming overhead. This, this hail Mary, all they would have had to do is say at some point, Archer calls forced, which he can do and say, oh, my God, I know where this thing is. Send the cavalry. And I mean, everybody it's do or die. And they're all somewhere far away on the voyage. And it shocks everybody that there is a um, subspace, whatever their fucking hyperspace conduit that drops them as close to Earth. That is an oh, fuck. It was a big mistake of us to send everybody out. Help us, Enterprise. You're the only ship. Instead, everybody should be there. There's not even fucking like space police hanging out to try or you could have like a fleet go with the death star and they're off engaging and like they ravage star fleet and you know in the end there's yeah you, you know, just need to have the sphere guarded by other ships and they engage earth starfleet in a way that allows the the weapon to to move past them there and hasn't need, been but there a, need to be something or there has an explanation as to why they weren't there i i can't tell you another plot hole that bad off the top of my head. Maybe I'm sure Voyager did something that might be able to rival that. Oh, right. Uh, you know, 
Janeway deciding getting home was more important than letting the Borg die. It, that did happen. <laughs> Let's do two more because we're already past an hour. Uh, change of Heart Award, an Enterprise original. I really enjoyed, actually. Uh, I'm going to give a positive Change of Heart Award because this was supposed to be derogatory to demonstrate a character flip flopping, but I'm going to I'm going to subvert expectations. Archer going from arresting a pirate in C- in episode two to becoming a pirate in episode 19. Like just the juxtaposition of that guy warning Archer, you're going to be me. Just give it enough time. This place turns you into me. I thought I wouldn't be me either. And here I am. And there Archer is Robin from the space jabronis. Like I got to, I got to steal this from you. My planet's on the line. I'm out of here. I just thought that was just uh, brilliantly done. He had a change of heart. All right. The guy was fucking right. I like that. All of our entries are focused on Archer. It makes perfect <laughs> sense. I mean, we could say like, oh, you know, uh, to Paul's change of heart from not wanting anything to do with humans to, you know, now she's in love with trip and future her is like, oh, Mary trip. But it's like, uh, I don't know. Um, for me, I guess the biggest change of heart, Archer disregarding Daniel's pleas for diplomacy, multiple pleas of diplomacy to instead of go genocide or, you know, suicide bomb uh, and, and push the war effort against the Zindi. He said like, you know, you got to talk to these guys and Archer's like, again, with all the time in the world to sit and talk and really think about it, he's just locked into like death, murder, kill after two seasons of being the most biggest pacifist baby out there. Yeah, I mean, that was Tripp's role was to be the death, murder, kill guy. Archer should have been restrained. Archer shouldn't have had to have been convinced that talking is probably the way he's going to get through this. And he does it a lot, too. Like, you go to the one where there are boil manufacturing planet that he doesn't blow everything up after all. Yeah. Like, he's That's early on, too. He's there being reasonable a lot. But as soon as time sucks in there, like, there's a weird chemical that activates in Archer's brain where he's just like, no, I'm a toddler. And God damn it, I, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do five minutes ago. Lastly, we have the true V'ger please award. The one you've all been waiting for. Peter, there's a lot of options. It's time to give out the weakest shit of enterprise season three. And here's mine. Let's say you're a bunch of intrepid space travelers and you find this weird planet there's this weird scientists. No. Yeah. There's this weird disease that mutates humans and other species into a different species and then gives them their like genetic memories. And it's obviously quite virulent. Like, I don't know, maybe in seconds, <laughs> uh, will will show its effectiveness and it's extraordinarily dangerous in every possible way. Why in the fuck? Would you decide to put that disease on your fucking ship in a little vial and then like package it away for like later just in case? In a bread box. Yeah. Like why in the world would you allow an atom of that nonsense anywhere near your vessel? You mean you're not considering it a new form of life that needs to be protected and sheltered? No. No. 
It's a dangerous disease. It's like it's like COVID twenty eight. All right, like fuck that. No, you know, had that been Reed slipping a sample into his pocket and like some real shady shit, like never know we need to like fucking completely destroy a planet. That's cool. And absolutely, flocks and Archer being like, you know, this represents a an alien, a life. We need to preserve this. I need the fucking take one of these what if episodes like Twilight while Enterprise is getting fucking knocked around and the shit really kicked out of it. Like that thing to get loose and like all of a sudden everything from like deck eight down is bird people run around clicking and hissing at each other. I thought this was, again, a V'ger please first, like really difficult for me to pick a legit weakest shit award. Normally there's like something in the season that really just stands out as stupid to the point of offensive and you've got a solid pick here like that that's a real we were we were pissed about that thing but it's nothing uh on the same level as them giving up on the talaxian moon after 18 seconds of trying the transporter trick that founded the weakest shit award i thought the the choice not to have any sort of memory holdover from twilight was bad and made it kind of a waste of an episode especially when there could have been so much good story and drama on screen if archer had this nagging hint of what would come to happen i think that would have really explained um his uh steadfast determination to ignore daniel's pleas for um uh diplomacy uh nazis at the end of the other one that was just bleh please come on uh back to your choice for extinction the complete lack of any sort of warning on that planet of stay the fuck away from here is <laughs> yeah, crazy virulent. And if you come on here, we're going to hit you with flamethrowers. The dick move of Archer to leave Mr. And Mrs. Nibley, who I believe was still pregnant. Maybe I believe so. Yes. With the psycho cult leader that wanted to use enterprise to murder blow everybody. Planet. See ya. <laughs> Real dick move on uh, archers and on that one. But I think my weakest shit's ultimately going to go back to what we talked about, the lack of Starfleet. I mean, that was your big send off um, and just a, a gratuitous plot hole and a real what the fuck mess. That's my weakest shit. But season three was not a what the fuck mess. Season three was a good time. Season four. A better time. I don't believe that. Listen, man, this bullshit. You didn't believe nah. me that this show was going to get good. Believe me, season four, the best season of Star Trek ever made. Doubt. Put, I'm, I'm, putting, pushing, I'm pushing putting the X it button down. here. Putting it down. This is fucking controller at X. Doubt. <laughs> I'm doubting. Best season of Star Trek ever made. Is every episode perfect? No. But I would say of the of the twenty episodes, what, the twelve that, that got greenlit for this, yeah, <laughs> eighteen of them are going to be good to great in your book. Well, only one way to find out, Joe. Indeed, and uh, you will all be finding out along with us here shortly. Uh, you'll you'll first enjoy our ep three reviews of uh, Picard season three. Uh, which we will be rolling out after you uh, in the three weeks after this uh, 
this rip while Peter and I work on some Patreon content as well as get ready for season four. Uh, but so you're hearing this as early as September 21st. So you'll start hearing from us on season four on October 19th. And we look forward to bringing it to you then. Peace.